1: Welcome to Smarty Pants, the podcast of the American Scholar magazine. I'm your host, Stephanie Bastic. We're going to try to keep the podcast going every week uh, to lend some semblance of normalcy to our socially distant situation. And I think one of the questions that I'm thinking about at home, where I've been social distancing for a little over a week now, is something that we take for granted a lot, which is just how much we interact with other people on a daily basis and how important that is and as we try to keep the podcast normal i am no longer sending guests out to studios to record because obviously that would be unsafe and people should be staying home if they can but instead i'm reaching out to people who have their own recording equipment and the first person i thought of actually whose work as an urban historian really intersects with a lot of these questions is a friend of mine, Amanda Huron, who is an associate professor in the social sciences department at the University of the District of Columbia. And her work focuses on the commons, specifically in the context of Washington DC, where we both live. She's written a book called Carving Out the Commons about housing co-ops in DC. So Amanda Huron is joining us today from her home. We are a very safe social distance away from one another. So uh, Amanda, thank you so much for talking to me from your closet. (laughs) (laughs) It's a pleasure. Um, So a lot of your work as a historian and um, a geographer, I suppose, focuses on the commons within cities. And I wonder what you mean when you talk about the commons, specifically in urban spaces and how you approach it.
2: Well, I think, you know, when we look at cities and sort of urban communities, one of the things that distinguishes urban life from rural life is that cities are really made up of strangers is one thing. Um, so it's lots of people coming and going. Cities aren't static. Lots of people move to them, leave them, come for jobs, leave for other jobs, that kind of thing. Um, and so an urban commons is is really, in some ways, this kind of remarkable effort of strangers to come together to to create spaces where they can Take care of each other's needs. So it's a resource that's collectively owned and or or more importantly, collectively governed by the people who use it. And it's essentially decommodified. So people rely on a commons for subsistence, essentially, um, as opposed to for exchange on the market, though these things aren't always so cut and dried. And then I think as part of that, as part of that collective governance, it's sort of implied also that the commons is is very much a social endeavor um it's not just kind of like a field a a meadow sitting there waiting to be used it's like a there's a social process there in terms of governing it so a church community could be an example of that and, and kind of providing um not only for themselves for their kind of members but also for their larger neighborhood potentially Um, A community garden is a great example of that. People getting together who maybe all live within a few blocks of each other, but they don't necessarily know each other. They're not necessarily friends, but they all have this common interest in gardening. And so they figure out a way to turn a vacant lot into a community garden together. Um, Housing co-ops that I've written about, I see as a form of the commons because they are really um, collectively governed and the, the housing has been, well, it's been removed from the speculative market. It's not totally decommodified. Um, I think actually here in D.C., you know, there's a famous drum circle in one of our parks in Malcolm X Park. And uh, and you could think of that drum circle as a form of the commons. It's people getting together to create music together um, in a particular place, in a particular time, every Sunday afternoon. Um, and so the, the, really the c- community that's built out of that, uh, sort of a musical kind of commons that comes out of that, I think.
1: What about like, uh, you know a dog park
2: count as a commons? Dog parks is interesting. I mean, I think some of it kind of has to do with, like, who's governing that dog park? There's some sort of interesting questions about the difference between a commons and, like, a public space. Is it, like, something that people have gotten together to create for themselves and collectively come up with rules for governing it? Or is it something that the state has provided in a bit more of a top-down fashion? But I think when when we look at commons in cities, cities tend to be pretty regulated by the state, it can be harder to find what we might think of as sort of more pure common spaces in cities. But yeah, I mean, I think answering those questions would help determine if we really saw it as a commons.
1: Um, I know, historically, people have looked at the commons as a rural thing, the Enclosure Act in England, for instance. And like, I, I remember reading about how poor Welsh farmers were unable to collect seaweed anymore from the ocean, because suddenly that commons was like closed and regulated. So how do we think about that commons compared to the urban commons? Because it seems quite different.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it is different. And it's, I mean, when I first started thinking about the urban commons, one of my questions was, is the urban commons, is that even possible? (laughs) Like, is that a a possible thing? You know, because I think also when we look at like the commons you're describing, and the enclosures, um, particularly in England, because, you know, the enclosures there were so well documented. So we have lots of rich information about it. What was going on was you had people who were, you know, these commons that they had relied on for subsistence were being enclosed. And so people were forced off these lands and essentially forced into waged labor, forced into factories off the lands because they they no longer were able to provide for themselves from the common lands which had been enclosed. And those factories I mean, not at the very beginning, but ultimately those factories were in cities. And and, and even today, when you look at sort of industrializing nations, um, we have a continuous process of enclosure going on all over the world, and people are forced off their lands and have no option but to go to the city to try to find jobs, some way to support themselves. And so in some senses, the city represents where commoners are forced into when they're kicked off their common lands and their 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 source of subsistence. So it's sort of funny to then think about the urban commons. But I do think that what we see in cities, of course, is that when people are in cities, they build communities like people do wherever they are in the world. And so I think we do see commons emerging in cities all over the place, but it's, it's harder to see them as like straight-up subsistence commons the way you might in a more rural area where you have people who are literally fishing or hunting on common lands and then able to provide for themselves directly in that way. So in cities, a commons is often not as much of a form of direct subsistence support for life. But I still think that we certainly see them arising in cities. But they're a little more like, I don't know, they're not as quote unquote pure or something. You know, they're way more embedded in capitalism and they're way more kind of entangled in, in the state as well.
1: It seems like the commons that you see emerging in cities are more abstract. I guess, you know, we do have to feed our emotional selves and our literal selves at the same time. And something that cities seem to give rise to is this kind of isolated solitary existence. People, as you said, moving from rural areas to the city or in more modern times, maybe moving away from their families to new cities for jobs. And that, of course, has implications for all kinds of communities and families and everything. Do you think that that's a good read on it, that it's like an emotional commons?
2: Totally. I mean, I think yeah, there is this real need for community and to kind of overcome alienation. I mean, the city is famous as a place of alienation and a place of strangers and of people coming and going and not having that kind of stable community that the pre-modern era is sort of famous for. Although, of course, we don't want to romanticize that community either. Like when I think about some of those early commons or more make quote unquote traditional commons, you know, there's still like gender exploitation going on. You know, it's not like these are necessarily liberatory spaces. It's just a different way of organizing life. But yeah, to your point, yeah, I totally think that's an important part of what a commons can do in a city is help overcome that alienation. And but but I also think it's through building those those kind of common projects in cities that we build the relationships that are necessary to also deal with like material issues at hand. So that sort of helps lead to these relationships that can help us demand a halt to evictions, for instance. So I think they're really critically important.
1: As we're all sort of stuck at home or, you know, biking solitarily to work and everything, (laughs) right? um, Right. we're coming face to face with just how isolated we are in some ways and how dependent we are on the community we have with other people, even if it doesn't Seem like such a big deal if you're embedded in it, you know? Like now I'm experiencing just how many casual conversations I have with my coworkers that are now emails. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. How do you feel like the coronavirus and attendant state measures to prevent its spread are changing the commons or community or alienation in cities? Well, and all over.
2: I know. You know, I mean, I've been thinking about this question. It's like, on the one hand, okay, maybe what if we like turn it around and think about what impact all these urban commoning efforts that have been ongoing, what is that impact? Is that potentially having on the coronavirus or on this state we find ourselves in? And I I do think there's calls all over the place for mutual aid efforts um, and building these mutual aid networks, which I think is really important. Um, People working together to help each other out, basically on all sorts of scales But then it's like a hell of a lot easier to do that if you already have some pre-existing organizing that you've been doing with people or some sort of baseline kind of commoning activity that you've been doing with other people. Um, For instance, I'll give an example. In my housing co-op, we have created a little coronavirus response plan, um, and we have a floor captain on each floor, and that person um, calls or texts the people on their floor periodically to make sure they're doing okay Um, and to find out if they need any particular kind of help. Groceries delivered or maybe they lost their job. It would be good for us to know that. So that kind of thing. So that's just within the scale of one building, that kind of mutual aid, meaning just collectively helping each other. And then there's also these kind of networks that are forming at the scale of a block or of a neighborhood um, or maybe, you know, of a whole city. You know, it's, it's a pretty simple idea and it's pretty powerful, I think, Um, But again, it's easier if you already have some basis of knowing and trusting each other. And so I think urban commenting efforts that predate the coronavirus, whether it's a community garden or a housing co-op, or for instance, my friend helps organize a block party for Halloween. And so every year she has to knock on every door in her block and get signatures to close the block off. So she has the names and phone numbers because of that previous work. And that block party, I also really see as a sort of you know, temporary commoning form. But then in answer to your question about how the coronavirus is impacting the urban commons, I mean, I think it's, it's hard because so much commoning behavior, especially like place-based commoning behavior in like cities and neighborhoods, relies on people coming together physically in person. Yeah. How do you keep up those relationships when we're not allowed to physically come together in person, especially when there's, you know, older people who might be an important part of your community um, who really, really shouldn't be leaving their apartments or their houses. My hope is that, you know, this crisis doesn't last that long, (laughs) at least in the sort of peak of where we're at it right now, and that this is really an impetus for us to think moving forward, like, oh, wow, it's really powerful to have these networks. Um, We should make more of an intentional effort to kind of build these. But I think the other thing that's important to remember when we talk about the commons in a crisis like this is that we also need, like, massive state-sponsored solutions immediately right now, like in terms of healthcare and the economy. And we really can't just rely on little collectives of people helping each other out to like solve this crisis. And so I think, you know, there's, there's one common scholar who I like, George Kofensis, who writes about the danger of the commons being seen as what he calls neoliberalism's plan B, the backup for what happens when the state can no longer take care of people. And this is all really good stuff, like people should be helping each other out, but we shouldn't see it as a replacement for what can be done at the scale of the state. So I think it's important to make demands on the state while we also continue to take care of each other in our kind of our everyday lives.
1: When you talk about like trying to organize community or communal efforts outside of like meeting face to face, that makes me think of all the digital efforts that are happening right now. Like I've been on way more Zoom calls than ever before. And I wonder if you think that there is a digital commons.
2: Yeah, definitely. And in fact, I mean, there's a whole literature on the digital commons and on like the internet as a commons. And in fact, a lot of the early internet pioneers had a kind of commons approach or mentality in terms of thinking about like, this is an incredible... Uh, trove of knowledge that we can all add to and access. Um, it hasn't really worked out that way, the internet, but um, <laughs> but there still is. I mean, I think Wikipedia is a good example that all can add to and all can access. There's lots of examples of that. Yeah. It's just that the particularly tricky thing about this health crisis, as many people have said, is that it's hard to get people who are not accustomed to using these digital tools um, to start using them now It's easiest for people to learn how to do this stuff when someone's sitting right next to them, like helping them navigate stuff on a computer. Um, And we can't do that right now because of social distancing stuff. So there's, of course, always worry about the very people who need the most help being excluded. I mean, I teach at a university where like a lot of my students don't have the internet at home and rely on their phone to do anything related to the internet. And so it's just really hard for them to be able to access everything digitally that they need to do with only having a phone and like a hotspot, you know?
1: Yeah, totally. Do you feel like in the past, I don't know, however many years that we've been living in cities, building up the commons, do you feel like they've been eroding? I mean, obviously now they're definitely disappeared in a lot of ways because we can't go out into the world where it's socially distant. (laughs) But beyond the current pandemic, do you feel like those spaces are in danger
2: i'm not totally sure i mean i think it really depends like i guess my knee-jerk response would be yes places are in danger but i'm not actually sure that's necessarily the case i mean there's so many examples particularly in certain cities i mean there's lots of examples for instance in detroit where people are doing a lot of really incredibly creative work creating collective spaces in the city um so I think in some cases, it it's really, urban commons are, are really flourishing. But then you have other places where the kind of reality of rising rents means that commons cannot be sustained sometimes. You know, if, if, if we think of a commons as like a free, sort of open community center type space might be another example of a commons. And it might be very difficult to maintain that, um, given the real estate market. Um, and I think there's a lot of spaces that kind of come and go. Um, And you might see some particular effort kind of fall apart, but then maybe something else emerges out of that. That's sort of a hopeful way of looking at it.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I can think of in DC, at least, like a lot of group houses that used to host punk shows are dead and gone. So that's one commons that's disappearing. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And then there's, then there's spaces like Rhizome DC, which I would really think of as, as a kind of commons that has emerged in the last five years, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, the punk houses and those house show spaces. Absolutely. I mean, and that's directly just a result of the real estate market. So,
1: I mean, why should we try if we're not like a fan of punk shows at grungy basements, (laughs) why should we care? Why, you know, like I can see the value of wanting to yell on a Friday night, but what's the value in commons? Like, why should we bother reclaiming
2: these spaces? You know, I don't know that we should bother to reclaim these spaces unless we really feel like there's a real need for them. And I tend to appreciate a sort of pragmatic approach. I mean, there's there's a very sort of romantic call, I think, to like reclaim the commons that I don't, I don't know, I don't really, <laughs> it doesn't really resonate with me that much necessarily. I'm like, the commons emerge out of crisis when people have direct needs and they have no choice really but to work together to address their needs. Um now they can the commons can also emerge out of like partying together and getting together on your block and thinking about like oh let's just hang out oh what are people interested in oh what would people like to see happen on this block you know or what what could we get together to do so i think they can either emerge through some sort of serious crisis like your building's about to be sold what are you going to do okay we're going to come together and we're going to buy it collectively ourselves and we're going to create this housing co-op okay or you know the sort of almost the opposite situation is like We have free time. We're just hanging out. We're thinking about what we want. Um, But I think a commons is really only going to survive if the people who are members of it really need it in some sense. It's got to be something that's really providing something important for people's lives. Otherwise, they're not going to put the effort into keeping it going over time. And I think one thing that will make a commons experience something really important to people, something they feel like they really need, is if it's something that is helping them overcome alienation like we were talking about before you know if it's people feel very strongly like this is something that i actually need like emotionally or psychically um and it's really worth fighting for even if i'm going to end up like having to argue with a lot of my friends along the way you know <laughs> i mean cuz i think that's important too is like i mean really the commons is all about arguing you are trying to like make decisions together with other people and you've got to figure out a way to argue that has like an undercurrent of basic love. <laughs> so that, you know, you have like this greater purpose that you're all working towards and you got to figure out how to how to keep working together, even though you're going to disagree. That's just how it goes. You're going to. But keep working together and keep communicating and make something happen.
1: There are links to Amanda Huron's work in the episode notes, as well as some essays on alienation in cities, urban spaces, the commons, all that, including an essay about my beloved punk houses in D.C., the last of which are really not long for this world. We'll be back next week. Till then, stay home, stay safe and stay sharp.